says, hey, I urge you, Paul says. And so an urging is this prodding, is this encouragement. Paul really means what he's about to say to Timothy. This is important to Paul. And then thirdly, notice that Paul calls us to pray for all people. Okay, Paul says, pray for all people. And so it just, I think a lot of us as Christians as a whole kind of have a, a struggle with prayer. We all know we should pray more than we should. And Paul says, hey, I want you to pray for all people. You go, well, how the heck do we even do that? Right? But it's here. It's in Scripture. We see this over and over and over again. And so if you struggle with prayer, we actually did a, a month-long sermon series on prayer back in January. And so I would encourage you to go listen to some of those. Prayer is important. I think a lot of us uh, can really undervalue prayer as well. And so Paul comes out and says, hey, I want you to pray. I'm serious about this. I'm going to use every word I know for prayer to show you my seriousness. I'm urging you in this, Timothy, and I want it to be for all people. Okay? Now, uh, Paul kind of zooms in. He takes a telescope and zooms in in verse 2. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so Paul tells us we should pray for all people, and then he zooms in and says, hey, we should pray for those in high positions, for kings, or in our context, for the government. That's what Paul's saying here. For kings, for high positions, for governmental authorities, we should pray for this. Now remember, Paul, after his marathon introduction, okay, says, hey, first of all, the first thing I want you to remember is this. Now, that actually may shock a lot of us in here today because Paul is saying to Timothy, a young pastor, his protege in a lot of ways, hey, Timothy, as you begin this church, as you plant this church, one of the first things I want you to remember is that you need to pray for all people, especially the government. Now, that tends to shock a lot of us. Why would Paul go that deep? Like, if I were writing a letter to a pastor, like, Bob's going to plant a church in Brazil, and if I were writing Bob a letter, then I would not say, hey, first of all, pray for your government, though that would be huge in Brazil right now, right? <laughs> like, there is problem. So we do see the, 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 the corruption that government can cause, so it is important. But I don't think that would be first in my mind, at least. I don't think for a lot of us it would be first for us, okay? I love how the message actually uh, interprets this. Look at what the message says here. Uh, about these verses. So the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so that we can be quiet about our business of living simply and humble contemplation. This is the way, this is the way our Savior God wants us to live. Okay? So, real talk moment. Alright? Let's have a heart to heart real quick. Okay? Uh, when is the last time that you've sincerely prayed for our leaders? Alright? When is the last time you've sincerely prayed for the governmental authority? Because this is a command in Scripture, is it not? And so when is the last time you've really prayed? Uh, let me ask a more direct question, okay? Specifically for those of us in here who would call ourselves Christian to claim that we want to submit to the Word of God, okay? For all the complaining and all the bickering and all the murmuring you're doing, how much praying are you actually doing in light of that? Be it local government, right? Like, we don't like our local government because we no longer have Uber and Lyft and we can't get around anymore, so we're mad, right? We no longer like our, our, our national government. We think the direction of the presidential candidacy is just going uh, a wire, and we complain and we murmur and we bicker. How much of that are you actually covering with prayer? Because, see, in your lack of prayer, you're showing two things. Firstly, you're showing you don't believe in the power of prayer. 
Because if you believe in the power of prayer, then you would pray that God would start moving and you would believe that he could move. And so a lot of us aren't in authority or aren't in uh, sorry, submission to the authority of Scripture. And we're showing it even in the way that we're communicating. The second thing, just straight up, is that that's really off-putting. As a Christian, we are to look differently in this world. And we're looking the exact same when we just murmur and complain and we bicker and we don't really do a whole lot about it. And Paul says, hey, look, that's not the way that we would do this. We say, hey, first thing that we want you to do is pray. Make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're lifting these men up. Make sure you're lifting these women up. Make sure that this is something that is on your mind, Timothy. And so as he's encouraging Timothy in this, I want to encourage us. Is that what your frame of thinking is? Do you tend to pray for your leaders? Or do you tend to think, well, hey, everyone's just corrupt. So whatever. Why would I waste my time? Right? Like, why would I waste my time even thinking about politics is what a lot of us say. Because, man, everybody's just, no matter what happens, it's just everybody's power hungry or whatever it may be. Okay? So we tend to be apathetic. And I think that's a lot of us framework. Uh, for others of us, we get so worked up about politics because we invest so much into it. So we get super worked up about it because really we have a lot of our hope set on politics or a lot of our hope set on somebody who we think can come in and change things and, and kind of redirect our nation and in some ways be our savior. And so we tend to put a lot of our emphasis and a lot of our hope. So opposite of apathetic, we're kind of overly energetic when we talk about the importance of politics. And so I think scripture is really clear, as we'll see here in a second, that we can't sway on this side as Christians. We can't be apathetic, and we definitely can't just murmur and complain and bicker, but we also can't be overly zealous about it. We can't place our hope into it. There's a middle ground. There's something different. I mean, so think about this. So I want you to think right now, okay, because I, I, we want to get practical, even in this sermon, all right? Like, what side of the fence do you think you tend to be on? Like, if I came up here today and I said, hey, here's who you should vote for, would that stir up your hatred so much because you're kind of on this side of the fence? Or would you be like, that's really dumb, I'm never coming back because I don't like this at all. Like, why are we even talking about politics today, okay? What side of the fence do you tend to be on? Because it's important. For those of you on the apathetic side, I want you to think about the importance of politics all throughout Scripture. Right? I mean, we see this very, very important role. It was the government that saved Israel from extinction through Joseph. Was it not? Or was it a governmental program that got put in place? And through that, we see Israel saved. It was God who directed or even ordained at time judges and kings to rule over his people in a governmental way. Was it not? Isn't this God's idea to do this? Uh, the law, which was ordained and even written by God, was Israel's uh, political constitution. Was it not? It's the way they should redirect their lives. Uh, the government helped the people of God rebuild the destroyed temple in the book of Ezra. Matter of fact, if you want a really, really good singular chapter to read about the importance of politics and how they are helpful and beneficial, I would encourage you to read Ezra 6. Ezra chapter 6, you can read that on your own, but it's a great, great, great chapter about how politics are important for us, okay? A pagan government, like a government that didn't even believe in God, helped Nehemiah rebuild the wall. Not only did they help him rebuild the wall by saying, hey, you can go do this, but they even provided money. Said, hey, here's some money, go rebuild the wall in Israel that you may be a nation protected. And they gave him influence and military power. Because as Nehemiah started facing some persecution, the government of a pagan kingdom came in and protected them. And so, once again, we see it protected the Jews through Daniel and Esther, literally saved their race through extinction, through the queen. And so in a lot of ways, 
politics actually had a direct influence of bringing forth the birth of the Messiah. Because without them, Israel may have been destroyed several times. So politics are important. We see that scripture kind of lays this out. But some will say, okay, we'll see, so then it is important, and so then they'll tend to get overly worked up about it. But at the same time, we see that God is also sovereign and in control over politics. So there are times when uh, there are, are kings that are ruling incorrectly, like Pharaoh in Egypt. And God comes through and he destroys Pharaoh, does he not? And he shows his power over them. And it doesn't matter how many uh, political advantages that Pharaoh tries to throw out. It doesn't matter how much power, how much military influence he has. God kind of just supersedes that and shows his strength and says, I don't really care about this system. And crushes it and ruins it, right? We see that God is over politics that way. He allowed kings to rise up and other nations to judge Israel for their disobedience. And as Israel was rebelling and straying away from God, God allowed other political parties, other political rulers, other kings to raise up and to take over that nation. So God said, hey, I'm going to let this happen. This will be my judgment. He also allowed men like Pontius Pilate, Jesus said to Pontius, to raise up that he may send the Messiah to be crucified to accomplish the will of God. God had enough foresight, enough knowledge, enough, enough understanding of even the political system that he allowed Pilate to come up. And that through that, we see the crucifixion happen, which seemed to be such a tragedy, but we know it was such a, a, a thing of importance, right? So we see kind of both sides of the fence. Go to Romans chapter 13 really quickly. Um, Romans chapter 13, so this is Paul once again. And in the middle of this very theological letter, in fact, all the way up to chapter 12, we see Paul talking about the importance of the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, over and over and over again. He's hitting it in all these differing ways. Chapter 13, really half of chapter 12 and then 13, is when he starts to get kind of practical. He says, okay, now, in light of the gospel, in light of all of what I just said, here's some things I want you to think about. And here's one of the first things Paul says. With every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Do you believe that? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is uh, God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, everyone must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Man, so Timothy, here we go again. Week one, we talk about doctrine and false teachers. Week two, last week, Todd said that most of you guys won't be following Jesus in 30 years, <laughs> right? Week three, we see politics, and then next week, we get to talk about women's roles in ministry, okay? So Timothy is just blow after blow. I feel like when we uh, decided this book, that God was just kind of in heaven smiling, 
like, hey, Jesus, come look at this. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's like, help the Lord. Right? And so this is a, a heavy thing, right? Like, do we believe this? This is a heavy, heavy truth. Do we believe what Romans is saying, what Paul will say through Timothy? God is in control, and so we need to honor our government because he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He, he knows how he's orchestrating this world to operate in a certain way that his ultimate plans may take fulfillment and purpose. And so you may say, well, yeah, but they're so bad today, right? Like, they cause so much harm. Well, they cause so much turmoil. Like, how can we honor those who, who cause harm? How can we honor those who are corrupt? How can we honor those who seem to be a little bit of a maniac? Right? Like, like what is it? How in the world do we honor this? I want to remind you that Paul is writing at a time where Christians were being killed left and right for their faith. And it wasn't a radical religion that was killing Christianity. It was the government. The kings and the governmental authorities were sending forth people to kill Christians. In fact, Nero, which is in, uh, he is in rule when Paul is writing Timothy, Nero is such a tyrant ruler that he actually takes Christians, kills them, crucifies them, and then lights them on fire at night so he can see in his garden. Last I saw, Obama isn't crucifying anyone, lighting us on fire in the Rose Garden so he can walk outside and enjoy a cigar at night. Right? But I, I have not seen that. So if Paul can tell us in that drastic of a thing that was happening to them as Christians to submit to the government, to believe that God is orchestrating this, to honor them, to pray for them as we see, I think that we can believe that today because we're in a much better position than they were. And so there's really no excuse is what I want to say. We can either make the air, though, of apathy or worship them. We can say, hey, I don't really care that much. Or we can be overly zealous about it. And so we pray for the governmental authorities. But why? Why do we pray for them? Why is this what Paul was saying? Okay, go back to 1 Timothy with me. So he says, pray for that. Right? So besides the fact that prayer works, okay, which we already hit on, why is it that we should pray for them? Or maybe better yet, what should we pray for? What is it that we should pray for when we're talking about praying for the government? Like, should we pray for our prosperity as a nation? That seems like a good prayer. In fact, you can find some allusions to that in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 29 where it says, pray for the prosperity of Babylon. So should we pray for the prosperity of the nation? Should we pray for uh, moral excellence in politics? Because we do believe that how you act does influence what you do. Remember that in 1 Timothy? Right? Uh, what you believe uh, affects how you act, and so maybe we pray for that. Uh, should we pray for wisdom and leadership? Like, that they would just be able to rule uh, wisely. Remember Solomon prayed for wisdom, that he would be able to rule God's people. Should we pray for a good implementation of the law? I mean, do you remember just two weeks ago we said the law is good for those who know how to use it lawfully, First Timothy 1 says. And we see that it curbs evil. It helps evil not to exist as much when there are good laws. What should we pray for? None of those are bad. None of those are the main thing, Paul says. Read it again in verse 2. We pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul wants us to pray that we would lead for a peaceful life, so we'd have the ability to practice our godliness or our dignity. Does this seem like a weird prayer request to you? Maybe not. Maybe you just have more trust in the word God. When I read that, I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> right? Like, like you, out of all the things you could tell Timothy to pray for, he says, hey, pray for peace. 
Like, why is this his main prayer request? Like, like, what about having a godly man in office? Wouldn't that seem like a better prayer request? Like, man, put a godly man in office who would be able to, to implement the things that we believe in, to, to orchestrate it in certain ways. Or maybe just having someone who's not power-hungry in office, because that always gets really scary, like a Hitler, right? Like, it seems like, hey, let's pray against that. Like, if we're going to pray for anything, uh, like peace and stuff, why not pray for the government to give us huge rebate checks? Or to pay us for being citizens rather than us paying them. Like, that seems like a valid prayer request, right? But Paul says, no, hey, pray for peace. Now, why does Paul say that? Let's read the rest of our text today. Verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. God desires our salvation. This is God's objective for the worship of him to be global. For the whole world to be able to know who he is and to worship him. That none would perish, he says, but that all would be saved. God wants no one to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of truth. Paul's absolute dedication to the gospel actually influenced the way that he viewed politics. Paul was so dedicated to the gospel and so dedicated to the work of Christ and so dedicated to the gospel uh, spreading across globally that it actually affected the way that he thought about politics. He realizes that if we have peace, then the gospel can spread forth. So Paul doesn't tell you to pray for peace so that you can be comfortable, which is how we usually pray for peace for our own personal comfort. Rather, he says, pray for peace because God desires all people to be saved. What's the link there? Like, that still seems like a broken link a little bit, doesn't it? Pray for peace so everybody can be saved, okay? Well, I want you to think about America over the past 200 or, or 300 or so years. Despite all of our woes, which we can name them, right? We can go through a list. Tons of just terrible things that we've done as a nation. So despite all of our corruption, despite all of our woes, despite all of the sin of the past, we've had a pretty peaceful existence when it's come to our practicing of religion, have we not? I mean, in fact, I would argue that we've had the most peaceful existence out of any nation that's ever been in since the world was created in practicing the freedom of religion. We've had peace. And until recently, there was really no persecution by any means for practicing the faith. In fact, there was often an encouragement for you to practice faith. There was an encouragement, so churches don't pay property taxes, and, and ministers don't really pay taxes that much, which is cool, all right? And there's all these little things. There was an encouragement saying, hey, we see this as a good thing. This is a good thing. So America, because we've had peace, has sent more missionaries out in the past two to three hundred years than any other nation in their whole combined history. Did you get that stat? America has sent more missionaries out over the past two to three hundred years than any other nation in their combined history. We are a young nation, are we not? And so there are nations like Europe where the gospel was started. In fact, we just read the book of Romans. Anybody know where Rome is? It still exists today, right? And yet... For whatever reason, America has sent more missionaries than Italy or France or England or anywhere in Africa or anywhere in the whole entire planet throughout all their existence. Why? Because we've had peace. Paul realized 
through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and His wisdom, that if there is peace, the gospel can go out more freely. Isn't that interesting? Like, because once again, I wouldn't have prayed for that, which is exactly how you know that this is inspired because I wouldn't have said that, right? Like, I would have said something totally different, okay? So we pray for peace, not for us, but for eternity. Because you're saying, hey, we're not trying to be selfish with this peace. We're trying to make it so that other people have eternity, that we may have the advantage of going to help people enter into a citizenship that blows this American citizenship out of the water. And so we freely and willingly give up even our rights here as an American to go out and to share with other people that they may enter their heavenly citizenship, the true citizenship, the eternal citizenship. This is what is important. And Paul is all into that. To pray for peace that we may go. Are y'all tracking with this? Does that make sense? The link there? Three people shook their head yes. All right. Let's read it into your right quote, and he probably says it better. Okay? Into your right says this. However surprising it may seem to us, Praying for those in authority, even if they are pagan rulers, will become part of God's plan to spread the gospel to all the world. When rulers are doing their job, even if they don't acknowledge God themselves, they create the peace and social stability which will allow God's people to worship without being harassed and to build up families and communities that follow the ways of holiness. In particular, when the world is at peace, the gospel can spread more easily. God wants people of every race, color, language to come to him and find the true salvation. Verse 4 and 7 indicate that praying for the peace of the world will be part of the apostolic mission to make this wider salvation a reality. Paul has wisdom and insight from the Holy Spirit that peace in the world will help spread the gospel. Now, we do know that persecution has its place too. Right? Persecution does have its place. We're not to be afraid of persecution. Because for the Christian, we realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. And oftentimes, persecution, just a martyr, said the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. Why? Because it shows the legitimacy of your faith. It shows that you actually believe what you're saying you believe, and you'd be willing to lose your life for it. And so persecution has a place, too, for the expansion of the kingdom. But not like peace. Peace, like we just said, can spread the gospel freely. It actually allows us to act like Christ, that though we have comforts and liberties and peace, we're willing to lay those down for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of other people coming to know God. It allows us to interact like that. So we pray for peace, hoping this actively that we will be able to share Christ. And so what is the true message? Right? What is the, 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 the true hope? Paul talks about that. He says, pray for peace that the message, that the true message would go forth. All right? I'm about to get hyped, because this is so good. I was so hyped this week. I read this, okay? This is, in the midst of all this political discussion, Paul's about to break down this beautiful truth, okay? So sorry for the two on the spit, bro. All right? I apologize in advance. Read verse 5 again. But there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Theologians talk about uh, the person and the work of Christ in many different ways, but there are three moments in Christ's life that we would say are the most important moments. Okay? They are his birth, his death, and then his resurrection and ascension, essentially showing that he's alive again. And so his birth, his death, and then his coming alive again. Look at what Paul does here. In the midst of all this talk about why politics are important, the spread of the gospel, what is the spread of the gospel? Are we just trying to spread like good works around? 
Or are we just trying to spread uh, morality? Are we trying to let other nations kind of live like America lives or live like whatever nation we think is the ideal nation? Is that what we're trying to do? Or are we trying to show a different kingdom, something greater? Look at what Paul does. He says, this is what I want to spread. And calling Jesus the man, Christ Jesus, he's not saying, like, Jesus is the man, like how we would use it today, right? He's proclaiming his humanity. That Jesus was a man. So Paul affirms Jesus' birth. He says, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus was actually born of the Virgin Mary, came out and lived in flesh. He was 100% man. Jesus is a man. We call this the incarnation. Christ putting on flesh and dwelling amongst us. And saying that he was the ransom, Paul is affirming the death of Christ. And so he's saying he was the atonement for our sins, that Jesus actually died, that Jesus did die to pay our sins. And saying that Jesus is the mediator, Paul is saying that Jesus actually rose up from the grave and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God where he now makes mediation for your sins. He now reigns in heaven and is alive. He's the in-between, that's what that mediator means, he's in-between, between you and God, between us and God. So his birth, death, and resurrection, his ascension, right? Or his incarnation, the atonement, and the mediation. These are the, the three most important offices that we understand about Christ because it's what uh, uh, affects our, 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 our salvation. If Jesus did not live as a man, we could not be saved. Why? Because a man had to pay for man's sins. If Jesus did not raise from the grave, then we do not know that that payment was paid for and was accomplished by God, and we do not know that we will raise when we die. If Jesus didn't die, then there could not be atonement. But with the birth, with the death, and with the resurrection of Christ, we can now have life. This is the message of the gospel. Paul says, this is what we want all nations to hear. Is this true? Look again, even more. In verse 1, Paul prays for all people. Let's pray for all people. You see that? In verse 2, he says, pray for all who are in governmental positions. All who are in high rule. In verse 4, God desires all people to be saved. In verse 6, Christ was a ransom for all men. In verse 7, Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, which Gentiles meant all nations. People who were not Jewish, which was all, all the rest of the world except for the Jewish people. But Paul says, hey, for the Jews and the Gentiles. So all nations. Paul wants everybody to be saved. Paul's heart, God's heart is for all people. In fact, if you were to consider yourself a Christian today, notice that God has a great desire for you. Even more, if you would consider yourself not a Christian today, notice that God has a great desire for you. Because I don't want anybody to perish. I want all to come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, we even want to pray for our political system to be orchestrated in such a perfect way so that the gospel can spread forth so that you can be saved. So you can know me, so you can know my life, death, and resurrection, that you can believe in the God man. God is for all people. God is for you, friends. God is for you. He would do what it takes that he may make atonement for your sins, even giving up his own son, the Christ laying down his life for us that we may know him. God wants all nations, all government, all whom he ransomed to be saved. But then look, in the midst of all, all of a sudden he switches. He says to know the one God. You see that? Look at the contrast there. Paul's doing this on purpose. There's a sharp contrast. For all people to know one God. There's only one God. There's only one true God. And that's Yahweh. That's God the Father. That's Jesus Christ the Son. That's the Holy Spirit. The triune God whom we sing about and who we worship. He is the one God. He's the only one that can ransom us. And so no amount of political or social entity or anything that we believe in can fix 
What's wrong with us? And so we don't pray for political power so we can be fixed. There's a sin problem in our hearts that needs to be corrected. And God, the one God, can make this right. And so we've all sinned against a broken God, we've, or a perfect God. We're all broken people in many different ways. You can look at the uh, corruption in our politics as a really easy example of that. It's not that systems are wrong, it's that hearts are wrong. And you and I, if we were in that same position, would do wrong things too. Because we're wrong people. And we do bad things, right? I mean, this is a simple, we teach the, the children are learning this right now, the same truth. That we all do bad things at times. And so what do we do? How do we fix this? Do we put more laws in place? Do we try to figure out more character? Or do we believe in the God maker? Who can come and give us a new heart, a new citizenship, a new kingdom. Jesus Christ the Messiah came to live a life that we couldn't. And he paid a ransom to make us right with God. He is now our in-between so that we can be in the presence of God. By believing in him, friends, we have redemption. Do you believe that? This is the important truth. Not politics. Praise the Lord. God can use those. But the important truth is the kingdom. And so when we look, what we look for in good politics, what we want as a people as, uh, uh, within good politics, uh, freedom, right? We all want freedom. That's a good thing. We say yes and amen to that. Memorial Day is tomorrow. People are fighting for our freedom. We say that is a good thing. And that is true. That is a good thing. We look for protection, that we would be protected from enemies. We look for redemption, for prosperity, for comfort, for liberty. All of those things find their ultimate reality in Christ. You can be truly free by believing in Jesus. No political system can give you true freedom from yourself. But Jesus can. No political system can give you prosperity that lasts past the grave, but Jesus can. No political system can truly comfort the woes in your hearts, but Jesus can. The Holy Spirit can as our comforter. And so listen, friends, Jesus is the only king to ever give up his kingdom completely to save men and women like you and I. Jesus was the king of all kings above every single king that's ever existed, but he laid all that down so that you and I who were slaves, slaves to Satan, slaves to the world system, slaves to ourselves, could be made free. Jesus is the only king to give up his political power so that we who are powerless can now be powerful in him. We can live like kings and queens even because one day we will be in the presence of God. One day we will rule forever with him. We will be brothers. We will be, listen, co-heirs. How unbelievable is that? That deserves at least seven amens. <laughs> you will be a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Christ is the true king. That's why he's called the heir. He gets everything in the kingdom you are a co-heir. That is unbelievable. And so this is what Paul is saying. This is the important message. Not that we would have the right political system. We pray for peace to happen, but that you would be entered into the right kingdom. That you would be taken out of the kingdom in the world and into the kingdom of heaven. This is what the message of the gospel is. That Jesus would give up his kingship for you. That you may be brought into the kingdom. This is beautiful. And this is what Paul wants. The peace so that we can spread this message to all, that all may be saved. So what do we do in light of this, okay? What do we do? Well, I'm not gonna tell you who to vote for. All right, I told you at the front. I do think one of the things that we can do as Christians is to realize that the kingdom of God is more important than our little system here on earth. Praise the Lord for our country, I would never wanna diss it, but this is gonna rot and perish too. 
And one day, we will be where the only kingdom lasts forever. We believe in Jesus. And so I think that we vote not really with our uh, comforts or our own personal satisfaction in mind. We vote with the gospel in mind. What do we think would create peace that the gospel may be able to go out more fully? Now, I'm not going to tell you who that is, because I'm going to get in trouble. You're not going to come back to church, all right? But I'm also not going to tell you, don't be apathetic. Search that out. Be a good citizen so where you can begin to create and mold things in such a way where you can hope that peace will begin to unfold. At the same time, believe that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. You don't have to get overly worked up, okay? The other thing you can do is you can pray. Because that's what it's commanded. It's for us to pray. And so here's what we're going to do to close us out today. I have a list up here of a bunch of different uh, uh, people in political power. Um, some of them are uh, uh, like Texas-wide, right? like our senators. Some of them are local. Every district is up here, our mayor, stuff like that, our chief of police. Some of them are more national. I didn't put the national names because I figured you know the name of our president. I kind of hope you know the name of our president, right? I figured you know the name of the potential presidents right now. And so what I want to do is I just want to spend four or so minutes here. Okay? I'm going to spend a long time on this. But I want you to just pray for these men, for these women that are up here, and pray that they would interact in such a way with the law and with our system that it would be able to create peace that the gospel message would spread forth. Pray for their protection. Pray for their coming to know Jesus. All the things that we talked about that we should pray for, those are all good things. But we pray in light of the gospel. And so that the gospel is on your heart right now as you're thinking about it. Let's pray for these men and women and believe in the power of prayer. Okay? I'm going to close this here in about four or five minutes, but just pick some random names on that list and pray for them. as we pray for these men and women um, that are here, we thank you for them. 
thank you for their desire uh, to rule, uh, to operate the government in such a way that we can live in freedom, that we can live in peace, that we can live in harmony. God, that you continue that. Lord, I know that you said to pray for all people. These men and these women are over all people. Our president is over everyone in this nation. God, foreign presidents and foreign kings and foreign prime ministers are over. That's who's over on the world. So God, in praying for them, we do pray for every single man, every single woman, every single child, that there would be peace, God. We thank you that peace allows us to raise families and to, to operate in society without fear. But we do also know that believers, I mean, that's not primary. You can take away our peace on this earth. You can't take away the peace in our hearts. We have you, Jesus. So God, we pray that you would allow the gospel to continue to go forth in aggressive ways, God. Would the gospel slam forth through America, God? Let us not be apathetic or passive with our peace. God, raise up some of us even to go out into the world, God. Be that at our workplaces or our neighborhoods or wherever that may be. And to go out with power, with authority, with the gospel on our hearts. And that we may share this good news with others. Make us bold, God. Make the American church bold. Help us to stop fighting over things that don't actually matter. Let's fight for the gospel. God, I pray for us to be under your kingdom, God, to be under your kingship, to believe that we are children of you now, Jesus, out of this world, into a new world, into heavenly dwellings, God, that one day we will be with you. You will be our king. Jesus, thank you for that. I long for your kingship, Jesus. You know how to rule perfectly. God, come back and make that reality. Until you do come back, though, God, let us operate in you. God, I know that some of us in here today have yet to make you king. We believe that political systems, or, or maybe ourselves even, we can make things right in our life. God, I pray that we would submit to you as king. God, for those of us in here who have been wrestling with you for, for weeks or, or months or maybe even years, and we say, we, we, you're not our king, Jesus. God, today, would you become their king? Holy Spirit, move in us to not be fearful, but to be excited about being under a perfect rule. Who though has all power will give it all up that we may be free. That's power. That's the king we want. Help us to submit to you, Jesus. We praise the beautiful name. Amen.